Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days when the king had said that they should be brought in the brought in the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar then the king interviewed them and among them all none was found like Daniel Hananiah Mishael and Azariah therefore they served before the king and in all the matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm thus daniel continued until the first year of king cyrus let's pray prabhu hum dhanyawad dete hain is samay ke liye prabhu aapke naam ki mahima ho stuti ho pitaji aapne hame aaj ke is din ko diya aur hum प्रभु आपके आभारी हैं पिता कि आपने हमें इस अनुमति को दिया कि हम आपकी आराधना स्थिति कर पाए प्रभु प्रभु हम आपके वचन की ओर जा रहे हैं और अब हमारी सहायता और मदद कर प्रभु कि हम इस खुले हुए दिल के साथ बैठने पाए और प्रभु आप आप जरीबिया के द्वारा प्रभु आप हमसे बात कीजिए और आप अपने वचन को हमारे अंदर बोइए ताकि हमारी आँखें खुलें और प्रभु हम उस महान प्रेम को और उस महान जो जो जीवन को जीने के लिए प्रभु आप हमसे कहते हैं पिता उस जी, उस जीवन को जीने की आशा और जीने की जीने की इच्छा प्रभु हमारे अंदर होने पाए पिता हम आपसे प्रार्थना करते हैं जरीबिया को प्रभु आप उन्हें सामर्थ और बल दे कि वो आपकी ताकत से बात करने पाए और प्रभु आपके आपका आप, आपका संदेश प्रभु हम तक पहुँचने पाए धन्यवाद प्रभु आपने प्रार्थना सुना और समान माफी को अर्पण करते हैं प्रार्थना प्रभु ईश्व मसीह के नाम में मांगते हैं नामैन for those of you who are uh, active on social media you would have noticed there is a challenge doing the rounds these days yeah what is it the 10 years challenge i don't know if you noticed but today's passage daniel throws a 10 day challenge right maybe it's where it started the the original challenge uh, a 15 year old throwing a 10 day challenge um, any 15 year olds in our church oh joy yeah So Joy you just want to stand up so everyone just has a reference to how Daniel looked. <laughs> yeah about that old right I just want to uh, you know us to have that image in our minds as we uh, read through this again and uh, as we study this again that a young teenage boy um uh, and uh, and the choices and the decisions that he makes. Daniel and his friends uh were from the kingdom of Judah which was the southern kingdom of israel uh we read that uh as we look at the first verse here about how uh their their territory was invaded by king nebuchadnezzar right um and just for a little context if we were to turn to that passage uh and we get to understand and we read uh, about the historical setting in the last few chapters of second chronicles and also in the last few chapters of second kings uh let's just uh, turn and uh, read a little bit about this king jehoiakim and what kind of a king he was to get a sense of what context and what setting daniel was living in um let's read from second chronicles 36 verse 5 to 8 if someone can just help me read that out aloud second chronicles 36 verse 5 to 8 jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 11 years in jerusalem 
So you read those uh, that passage and you realize that what an evil uh, king he was and the kind of things that he did. So a little more detailed context when it says in verse 1 that in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, uh, is when all of this is happening. So we get, get to understand a little more about what kind of a kingdom, what kind of a context that Daniel was living in. And when you connect that with what is described about Daniel's family background in verse 3, something clicks together. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family. You see a connection there? It's quite possible that Daniel was part of that very family, Jehoiakim's family, or at least very close to Jehoiakim's family. Now when you think of the choices that Daniel made, it's in stark contrast to how, uh, to what he saw and how he would have grown up, right? So Daniel and his friends, part of the royal family, part of the nobility, um, and as we read through the history of Israel and the history of uh, uh, Judah, we realize that only five of the 20 kings were good, somewhat good. Um, and Jehoiakim, of course, was not one of them. Uh, Daniel and his friends, they were people with uh, very high aptitude. We read about them in, in verse 4, both physical as well as mental aptitude. Uh, without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's place. So this group of teenagers uh, are, are seen to be a young group who had, uh, who had very high physical and mental capabilities. But as we read through, we realize that although Daniel might have grown up in a context and a setting which was not very godly, from the king's perspective and from the kingdom's perspective, but perhaps his family would have been a godly family. Because when we read through the last few chapters of Second Chronicles, we realize that a few kings before, the kind of things that were happening, almost all the families had turned away from the Lord, from Jehovah, and started worshipping Baal, started worshipping Asherah, the suns, the stars, um, and we read about that in Second Kings chapter 23. In fact, some even went to the level of sacrificing their children. They had an entire place which was an altar to the god Molech where they used to sacrifice their own children. That's the kind of uh, setting that Daniel grew up in. But when you notice the fact that Daniel and his three friends' names were godly names, you realize that it's... It's very telling that his parents would have been different. His parents would have been different. And the fact that these people, they don't change anyone else's names. The Babylonians, they don't change anyone else's names. Only these four names are mentioned would mean that perhaps these four and their families would have been very different from the others. So, so that gives us a little more understanding about living in an ungodly setting, but perhaps within godly families and Daniel and his friends these young teenagers they are thrust into circumstances which are completely outside their control a very turbulent uh, situation King Nebuchadnezzar he conquered their land carried them 
into exile to Babylon and when we read through history, we realize that Nebuchadnezzar was one of the most cruelest of kings and the way he carried out destruction in the entire region was, uh, was beyond imagination. And Daniel and his friends would have seen all of that destruction of their families, of their households, all of that they would have seen it with their very own eyes. So they lose their freedom, they lose their identity, their family, their friendships, their nobility status, and now they are being forced to live in a land that is not theirs. They would never by their own choice have ever come there, but now they are being forced to live there, to learn a foreign language. Their names are changed. He, um, he lost the name that he had, which included the word El, which was the, the word used for God himself and replaced, and, and the uh, Babylonians, they replaced it with the word Bel, which is signifying uh, the God, their God, the idol God, Baal. And um, when you read through history, you realize that perhaps it's quite possible that uh, these group of young men were even castrated and turned into eunuchs because that's what the Babylonians used to do when they would uh, capture slaves and especially if these slaves were meant to serve the king, that's what they would do. And when you read about who is put uh, over them in charge, Ashpenaz, uh, his description in verse 3 and in verse 8, it says chief of eunuchs. So uh, he is the person who was taking care of all of the eunuchs and this group is also given charge to him. Uh, also, uh, Daniel seems to have died single and not have, a, have had a family. And then when you also look at the prophecy in Isaiah 39 verse 7, it says, some of your descendants will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the, in the palace of the king of Babylon. Just imagine if that is what would have happened to Daniel and his friends. What kind of physical and emotional pain they would have gone through. Young teenage boys coming from a setting which is so ungodly, perhaps the only godly influence in their lives, and we'll see a little more of that later, would have been the small group of people who are following the Lord. Everything else around them completely going counterculture, but yet Daniel and his friends, and in that context when you see that the choices that they are making in a pagan country, in a country where they are just slaves, where they don't have any rights of their own, it just sets context to, uh, to who they were and what was their devotion and commitment towards the Lord. Uh, during all of this though, during all of this, you don't see or hear Daniel protest. When they were carried away, when their names are changed, when they are forced to uh, go through another type of education, when perhaps they, are, uh, they have to go through that physical pain and trauma of castration, during none of that do you really hear or see Daniel protest. But when it came to eating food that was against the dietary laws of Leviticus, when it came to eating food that, as we read, the Babylonian culture would have been offered to idols before it went to the table of the king. Daniel puts his foot down. This young teenage boy, he very humbly, very lovingly, yet unswervingly, he says that that is something that I cannot do. You see a young 15-year-old standing by his convictions, ready to even be beheaded. 
you know there was no doubt in daniel's mind about what could be the possible consequence because he would have seen nebuchadnezzar's cruelty right in front of him front of him already and then uh, in fact forget about daniel even ashpenaz he says i am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink this in verse 10 the king would then have my head because of you if that's what nebuchadnezzar's reputation was i'm sure daniel knew the cost of taking that stand but this teenage boy he sticks to what he knew and to what he believed when his name changed he knew that his identity and his soul is secure in the lord when he was given a pagan education he was able to filter it through god's word so it did not affect him but when it came to this kind of food which was against what he knew was god's law he drew the line because that's where god drew it see on the outside it seems as a very very uh, simple thing but if you just go and you think through think through the things where he did not protest but when it came to this one thing he did it shows the fact that he drew the line where god drew it basis god's standards because for him it was not just an outwardly thing see what it says see see how he describes it in verse 8 but daniel resolved not to defile himself and then he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself daniel saw this as a issue of personal purity for him it was that it wasn't just an external thing it was about his personal conviction it was about who he is serving it was about who he is worshiping who is the god of his life and when it came to that one area he said that i cannot compromise where is this coming from for this young teenage boy where is this kind of conviction coming from how can a young man like this keep his way pure and we know the answer that the psalmist gives in psalm 119 verse 9 by living according to your word psalm 119 verse 9 and then even in verse 11 thy word have i hid in my heart that i might not sin against thee very clearly that is where daniel's conviction is coming from his personal devotion towards god's word his personal time spent with god's word and many of us i think it's 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 for us to think that perhaps why we are not able to follow strong convictions is because we are not spending that kind of time with god's word if we have to keep our way pure if we have to stay away from sin then the only way is to hide god's word in our heart the way that daniel would have maybe we've got questions about how do we do that you know a lot of times people ask young people ask that but how do i how do i read god's word how do i do my quiet time when i read nothing goes in uh, i'm not able to understand and i'll just like to encourage you uh, i was personally encouraged by the last chapter of nate's book uh, so if you have a copy do read it otherwise just uh, take a scanned version from someone it's just 3 4 pages it gives very simple guidelines about how to do our morning quiet time right time spent with the lord personal devotion it led to daniel's conviction 
which in turn resulted in the resolution where we had spent a little more time on the 31st night, his resolution which resulted in him acting upon it. So his devotion leading to his conviction, leading to a resolution, leading to finally action. Personal purity, how important is it for you and me? I was really thinking about this. A lot of times for us it's the reverse. Public purity becomes important and at a personal level it's more about personal pleasure. Once a week we end up putting up a display of public purity and the rest of the week a lot of times we end up just pursuing personal pleasure. For Daniel it was a matter of personal purity. That is what drove his decisions. And then we saw on 31st how the narrative completely changed from verse 8 onwards. And with that beautiful phrase, but Daniel, but Daniel resolved, he purposed, he determined. You know, those are the words used in different versions. He took a firm decision. The question to all of us is, what have we resolved? What have we resolved? Maybe we can just take two minutes and think through that question. It's easy to just go through milestones in our life, sometimes getting convicted, but not really doing anything about it. And the truth is that God's word would have spoken to us so many times about so many different areas of our life. Maybe the step that we need to take is to really resolve, to really take that decision. Think through, some of, what are some of the areas where God has really spoken to you and me? Are there areas about our personal walk with the Lord, the kind of time that we spend with Him, the quality of time that we spend with Him, the quantity of time that we spend with Him? Are there areas about our priorities in life? What is most important? Are there areas about how we choose our relationships? Maybe there are relationships that the Lord told us need to be mended. Maybe there were relationships that the Lord told us need to be broken. We need to move away from those. Maybe there are other areas, maybe areas of how we handle our finances. Maybe the areas of how we engage in the ministry, how we serve the Lord, how we spend time with God and with His people. What are some of the areas that the Lord has been speaking to you about in a very personal way? Right? Daniel, the Lord had spoken to him about certain things. And those became his personal convictions. Coming out of his personal devotion and the personal time that he spent with the Lord, those turned into very strong personal convictions. But he didn't keep it there. He made those into resolutions. He resolved. And again, it didn't stay there. Those resolutions turned into action. He acted upon the resolutions that the Lord had put in his heart. May the Lord encourage you and I to start acting, to start resolving. And may all of that come from a personal conviction, not just something out of the air, but from a personal conviction that is driven through God's word. Um, but if we just go a step back, this personal devotion and this personal time that Daniel is spending with the Lord, I think was influenced a lot by other people as well. Right? And um, interestingly, uh, in our Thursday cell group, uh, we are studying through a uh, couple of things. One of them 
is uh, uh, the kings of Judah. And uh, Daniel's story, this 15-year-old story, actually in intersects very interestingly with another 15-year-old's story. So why don't you turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 34, and if someone can help me read verse 1 through verse 3. Second Chronicles 34, verse 1 to 3. So when you do a timeline of Daniel's life and you uh, compare that with the kings of Judah and you keep going back, you realize that Daniel would have been born during Josiah's reign. And here, in the eighth year of his reign, verse 3, which would have meant that seven years have gone by and that means that Josiah was 15 years old. When he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. I really like that phrase, he began. For us, a lot of us, for me a lot of times, there's a starting trouble, right? The trouble to get started. Because sometimes the task seems so big. You know, I heard Nate at the camp and I thought, three o'clock in the morning, that's, that's too much. Or we look at something else that is expected of us and we just think that's too much. You know, we see some people who, who are so good at the word and we think, I can never get there. We think that it just stops us from even getting started because we think that the task is too big in front of us. So I really like this phrase. While he was still young, he began. Begin. Begin small. Begin now. We need to get started when the Lord speaks to us, when He shows us something, when He convicts us, we need to get started. Not be just, uh, just bothered by the hugeness of the task, but start. Let's start now. And I like that it says to seek the God of his father, David. Uh, David wasn't Josiah's father. There were at least some uh, 20, 18 to 20 kings who were between David and Josiah. His great, 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 great grandfather. And between David and Josiah most of the kings were evil. I think there were just a three, three, four, a handful of good kings who came between David and Josiah. But you see the beauty of the legacy of David continuing. Something about the stories of David which, which would have been passed along stayed with Josiah in a way that even his parents were not able to influence his life. This king David from so many years, I think there were some 350 years ago, from that kind of a gap, David is able to influence the life of this young boy. What a legacy that is being passed on. And then you see another gap after Josiah, again, a few kings who don't follow uh, the ways of the Lord, but eventually that legacy goes on to Daniel. Daniel was brought up in this time, the time of King Josiah, when everything was going against 
what God had commanded, Josiah brought it back. Verse 14, let's continue and look at a couple of verses there about what Josiah did. Um, verse 14, 2 Chronicles 34, 14. I'll read it. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law. They just happened to find it because it was lost all this time. That's what had happened in the generations that had gone by. They had not only forsaken the Lord, but completely forgotten about Him. They didn't even know that the law existed. They just happened to find it. When Josiah asked for the temple to be rebuilt, and when they went and they were digging up and all of that, in the ruins somewhere, they found the book of the law, of the Lord that had been given through Moses. I was thinking about the effect of the generations that had come before King Josiah. Having treated God and his word in such a way that people of that generation did not even know that it existed, that there was something like the book of the law of the Lord, of Moses. And maybe a time for us to just reflect, are we securing and preserving God's word for our next generation? And it's not about the, the number of copies of Bible that we keep aside or, or the, or the uh, frames that we put up on our walls, but it's really about what are we really passing on? Are we really passing on God's word? In our lives, is, it our, is our next generation able to see us living it out? Are they able to see us living it out? Are we preserving and securing God's word for the next generation? So they found the book of the law and, uh, and then Josiah, he obviously he didn't know what was written so he gets someone to read it, he gets someone to interpret it and to explain it and then you see his reaction in verse 19. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes because he knew that his life and the life of everyone in the country is completely, completely on the opposite side with what the law of the Lord was stating. What a reaction, a contrite heart. I was thinking, do we have that kind of reaction? Does the word of God ever elicit that kind of a reaction from us? Does it ever prick us? Or like uh, Cleopas and his friend, they said, maybe his brother on the road to Emmaus, after they had spent time with the Lord, they said that when he was speaking, our hearts burned within us. Does that ever happen to us? If we are God's children, then our heart will be sensitive to his voice. It will prick us. It will prick us. It will burn us. And Josiah's reaction, he tore his robes. And not just that, when you read through ahead the rest of the chapter from verse 29 onwards, you see that he got the word, got God's law to be read in front of everyone. He got the covenant to be renewed. He got the idols to be removed. And he got worship to be restored. So King Josiah made that entire nation of Judah turn back towards the Lord. And that's the context in which this child is born, Daniel. Sadly, kings after Josiah, Jehoaz, who was there only for three months, and Jehoiakim, about whom we read in this first verse 
of Daniel was evil and they restarted detestable practices. But thankfully, Daniel's foundation had already been laid. Daniel's foundation had been already laid by what King Josiah has done in recovering God's law, in recovering people's attention towards God's word, in, in refocusing people's hearts towards God's word and, uh, and the influence of his godly parents like we saw. Parents who would have taught parents who would have also lived in front of him. Godly lives. Uh, you know, parents uh, in the church, we, we know that kids don't really do what we tell them to, tell them to do. They, they do what they see us do. Right? They, are, they are the best imitators and we, we've seen that in our house all the time. Uh, even down to uh, when it's about what to wear for church, uh, Anugra usually waits for me to get dressed and then he'll try and match the color of his jeans with mine. Right? Um, one of uh, one of the Sundays, I I got dressed first. I'm sorry, he got dressed first, and he was wearing a T-shirt, and then I wore a kurta and came out, and and that was a really bad Sunday. <laughs> Because all through he was so grumpy and we had to convince him that, okay, next Sunday we'll both wear the same kurta again. Uh, when uh, Anugre was growing up, so he started uh, talking when he was about uh, 10 months old, uh, we realized something which should have been obvious, but we never thought about it, right? And we realized that, that kids start listening before they start talking. Right? Sounds obvious, but... Uh, it, it came to us in a very practical way because when he started speaking, he started speaking words which we never intended him to speak, right? Because he was soaking it all up, you know, right from his childhood, he was just soaking it all up. He was listening to all that we were saying and then he played it back to us. In fact, um, a lot of, um, um, a lot of uh, medical people, they say that uh, children can hear even in the womb, Right? And perhaps that's why uh, some parents, they play Mozart, you know, hoping that uh, their child will become a musician. So I don't know about that, uh, but I do know that, uh, that uh, John the Baptist, when he was in the mother's womb, he leapt when he heard his Savior's mother's voice, right? So we don't know uh, where that goes, but definitely as soon as children are born, they are listening and they're soaking it in. And more than that, they're observing, they're observing us. And they're imitating us. We think of Paul saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we think, oh, who would imitate me? Well, good news uh, or bad news, there are people around you right here who, who are imitating you. And, and I know for a fact that Anugre imitates a lot of people, a lot of young people in church. One day he, uh, uh, he's getting ready and he says that, uh, that I want to wear those shoes because that achacha wears shoes, these kind of shoes to church. Uh, so yeah, so he's, he's been imitating us, but now he's also started looking at other people who are just a little elder to him. So for each of us, I think there is someone or the other who is looking up to us and learning from us, whether we like it or not, whether we like it or not. So if parents, if someone is uh, telling you that your son or your daughter is very much like you, then uh, yeah, just think whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, uh, but, but we ought to live lives where our children are able to see a consistency between what we say and what we practice. And that legacy gets passed on. 
in the life of Daniel. And we see it even in, uh, in the New Testament when we read in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, that beautiful legacy. A lot of times, uh, young mothers feel, you know, feel that, uh, oh, you know, now my life is over. I'm just stuck at home. Uh, you know, what do I do? Uh, but here is something to encourage you. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul is talking about Timothy and he says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith. And where did it start? Which first lived in your grandmother Louis and then in your mother Eunice and I am now persuaded now lives in you also. You see that legacy pass along from grandmother to mother to the son. There's a lot that we have to do for our children at home. And Daniel, his foundation was laid by his, uh, by King Josiah. His foundation was laid by that influence. His foundation was laid by godly parents. And definitely he would have had godly teachers in the temple because Josiah, he re-established that. He re-established the teaching of God's word in the temple. So I want to encourage those of you who are involved in the, in the children's ministry, those of you who are taking Sunday school, there's a big influence that you're playing in their lives. And like you're reminded, all of us are being role models for someone else. Whether we want it or not, someone is imitating us right here. What kind of uh, role modeling are we doing? What is the legacy that we are passing on? And then coming back to the text, Daniel chapter 1, he also had godly friends. So see, these are all the things that are supporting and building up Daniel's foundation. He had godly friends. How important that is. And when you just think of the context and you think that perhaps these were the only four people who stood for the Lord. See, there were many who were who were enslaved and brought in. Because in verse 6 it says, among these. So there were many who were brought in. Many who were from Judah, many who theoretically should have known the law and should have been following it. But only these four, they stand up for what they know is right. And they stick together. How they stick together, encouraging and helping each other. So important for us as well to stay together, stick together, to encourage one another. But their friendship is not the first foundation. See, their friendship was built on the foundation of their love for the Lord and, and, and the love of His Word. That's where it started. The friendship came on top of that. And how do we know that? Because when they were not around also, when they were not around each other also to support one another, they still stood by their convictions. So when it came for uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to be thrown into the fiery furnace, Daniel was not around. There's no mention of him. But he still, but they still stood by they can, because those were their personal convictions. It wasn't just about what Daniel was telling them to do. Those were their personal convictions. So that's where it started for them. Even later on, much later in Daniel's life, when I think he was in his 60s, when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, he's seen alone. Because by then, perhaps, all of the others have already moved on to very senior positions in different places of administration, and Daniel is alone. But he's able to stand by his convictions even when he is alone. However, when they had each other, they rushed to one another. When they had the option, they would just rush to each other and spend time with one another, At especially in times of crisis. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 17 and 18, when uh, uh, he has to interpret and he knows that the consequence of not interpreting is all of them getting killed. We see that Daniel returned, chapter 2 verse 17 and 18, Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
he urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery. So you just see them coming to each other, coming to godly friendships and fellowship when they need help, when they need counsel, when they need prayer and they pray together and when they need encouragement. Daniel's foundation led to his personal devotion with the Lord and with his word, resulting in conviction, deep convictions that he lived by, resulting in resolutions and decisions that he took and which he acted upon, resulting in action. Daniel did all of this in a time when he was alone, alone in the sense that there was no one to really question him. He could have done whatever he wanted, like a lot of us, alone, away from anyone who is there to look at us or to question us, right? No answerability at all. And with the added pressure of the king, of a cruel king, but still he takes a stand. When others don't, right? In verse 6, among these, when others don't take a stand, yet this young teenage boy, he stood by his convictions and he told the truth in love. What, what maturity, what maturity coming from this young boy. The way he speaks to, uh, uh, to Ashpenaz with such, with such gentleness. And he did not try to bluff his way out. He's telling the truth, but he's telling it in love and he's telling it gently. And in the background of all of this, as we read through chapter 1, we see God looming over all of this. We see God's sovereignty in all of this and His hand in action, not just afterwards, but before. Right? And that's why in verse 9, that phrase, now God, now God, that now God factor, a factor that a lot of times we lose sight of in our daily week when we are in college, when we are, uh, when we are uh, in our offices, a lot of times we just lose sight of the fact that in all of that, God is in control, that He is sovereign and not just that, He is directing all of those things. He is the one who is deciding and directing all of that. Verse 2, God had caused, God had caused, sorry, verse 9, God had caused. In past tense, in NIV it says, God had caused. In New Living Translation, God had given, in King James Version, God had brought Daniel into favor. God had already done his part. God had already done his part. You see, so beautifully, God's sovereignty and man's free will coming together. You know, a very complex thing that is so difficult for us to wrap our heads around. But see here, God had already done his part, waiting for Daniel to do his. Out of Daniel's own free will and free choice, Daniel did it. To be able to see what God had already set into motion. God had already set sequences of events into motion much before Daniel did his part. But God had already caused it. And we see God's sovereignty even in verse 2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim. The Lord is the one who had done all of that. What seems to be evil in our sight is not something that is outside God's control or God's permission. It is something that God allows. Um, and the result in verse 9, God had caused the officials to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. Favor and compassion in some verses, and in, in, in some versions, uh, I think in the King James it says, favor and tender love. Just imagine someone 
like Ashpenaz, who was who was who would definitely have been a very rough and tough guy. You know, for him, these kind of words being used that he ended up showing favor and tender love. Only the only the Lord could have caused it. You know, when we seek favor and sympathy from people around us, maybe people who are above us in office, maybe our teachers, we need to remember that we don't need to go after it. The Lord will cause it. If we stand for Him, the Lord will cause it. And it's time for appraisal uh, in, our, uh, in my office and I was sharing with someone that it's, it's the worst time for me because I just don't know how to pitch myself right in front of people and usually appraisals are about that. Usually appraisals are about you telling everyone um, what, a, what, a, what a great guy you are and you know how well you do and, and that's always about telling that others are not as good as you are. Right? Because it's comparative. Appraisals are comparative. You know, they've got that famous bell curve thing. Not everybody can be good. Uh, you know, where does that come from? But that's how it is. And it's a time when people seek favor and sympathy from those above them. Daniel did not go seeking after those things. It just, it just assured me so much when I was reading through this last week that favor and sympathy... And even sometimes, I can't even think of some of my bosses showing uh, uh, tender love towards me, but uh, even to that extent, it was caused by the Lord because Daniel stood for him. Uh, A verse which has encouraged me a lot, and I just uh, want us to turn towards that, John chapter 3 and verse 27. John 3, 27. Where does all of this come from? To this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. A man can receive only what is given to him from heaven. Such a reassuring promise for us that even what happens to us in our careers, in our offices, where others seemingly are in control, it is only by God's permission. But that doesn't mean that we have to be sluggards and, you know, we can just relax and say that, okay, so now God is going to give me promotion. God is going to give everything. I can just sit back. A lot of times, uh, sadly, Christians, you know, end up with a fatalistic attitude like that and saying that, okay, I can just relax. Everything is in God's control. No, in Daniel's life, you see that it was just the opposite. Even his enemies had such an amazing report to give about Daniel, about his work. Right? Uh, let's look at Daniel chapter 6 from verse 3 to 5. And this is after many years of them observing him. And he's in a quite senior position by now and he's about to get a promotion. And that's when they say this. Daniel chapter 6 verse 3 to 5. Can someone please read it for me aloud? Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of 
What an amazing testimony, right? His enemies saying that we can never find anything about his work or anything else about his character. The only place that we can point something about him is about his relationship and his convictions about his God. That's the only place that we can find. What, what a challenge for each of us as we work, as we study. What a challenge that we live lives of that kind of a testimony. That people will be able to say and look at us that he is impeccable when it comes to how he deals with his studies, when it comes to how he deals with his work. There is nothing that we can find fault in him. The only place that we can say something about him is about his convictions. Right? Is about his faith. There is nothing else that we can point out about him. Our utmost for his highest, doing all as unto the Lord in First Corinthians chapter ten and verse thirty one, with no division between what is sacred and what is secular, because even when we are in our nine to five jobs, five days, six days a week, slogging it out, we are doing it as unto Lord, as what Daniel did. But Ashpenaz, the chief of eunuchs, uh, he wasn't able to do much for Daniel. Uh, you know, beyond showing him love, he wasn't really able to help him. Because in verse 9 we read that Ashpenaz was, in verse 10, that he was afraid of being beheaded. And that could have been a time that Daniel said that, okay, I did my part, I tried, it didn't happen. Uh, I don't think there's much that I can do. After all, just a teenage boy and... And, and the leader has said that, sorry, there's nothing that can be done. But Daniel persisted. He went one rung lower. He went to the guard. And that's where we read that portion. He threw a 10-day challenge at him. But yeah, I just make it sound like a challenge. Daniel said it so gently, so lovingly. And he said that, just give me 10 days. So we see that Daniel's foundation ended up with a personal devotion. Time with the Lord and with his word leading to deep convictions resulting in resolutions which, through which came about action, but not just there, action which kept continuing. So there's a dedication that you see. He kept persisting. And the guard, surprisingly, he agrees. The senior person had said no, Ashpanas had said no, but the junior, the guard, he agrees. And I think it's because he would have seen Daniel and his friends much more closely he would have spent much more time with them and he would have seen that there's a difference between these four and the others. But it's God who would have done all of that because in verse 17 we see God's provision. The result of all of this, God's provision. To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So God gave to these four knowledge and understanding and as a bonus, he gives to Daniel the ability to interpret dreams. And, you know, there's an interesting uh, verse where the Lord is looking back at this incident, at where things all started. So many years later, when Daniel had to interpret, uh, not interpret, he saw a dream himself and it terrified him. And uh, Daniel started palpitating and he was shivering. And this is what the Lord told him. Chapter 10, verse 12. It's interesting that the Lord is looking back and referring to where it all started. And this is what the Lord says. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 12. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I've come 
in response to them. We see another insight into Daniel, something that only the Lord saw, his humility, Daniel's humility. It's not, it's not that he thinks he is something and that he can stand up against the others, no. Young, but very humble, very, very grounded. And the Lord saw that and he lifted him up. He humbled himself under the Lord's hands and the Lord lifted him up. Verse 18, there is a, uh, there is a time, uh, uh, there's a time lapse and suddenly it's three years ahead. It's, it's like in movies, they say teen sal baad. So that's what happens after three years because that was the time that they had for the training. And it says in verse 18, at the end of the time, and they are brought before Nebuchadnezzar. This is the interview time with Nebuchadnezzar. And, and think of your worst interview, think of your worst viva. It, it, it does not come anywhere close to what Daniel and his four friends would have had to uh, face when they are standing in front of uh, someone because failure would mean uh, perhaps getting beheaded. And they would have been, their, their hearts would have been throbbing, their palms would have been sweaty, but we see that God honored them before Nebuchadnezzar. And not just knowledge and understanding, but Nebuchadnezzar is able to see wisdom, you know, knowledge applied. He's able to see that, which only God can give. Only God can give wisdom. And he's able to see that. And he's able to see that they are 10 times, in verse 20, 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom by this time was practically the whole world. You see, the testimony of these four people is that they are 10 times better than almost anyone else on the face of the earth. No one else could have done that except the Lord. It was not their own ability. And I really like how it ends. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. He remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And that's many kings ahead of Nebuchadnezzar. That's a total of five kings at least. At least a total of five kings, right? Nebuchadnezzar followed by Belshazzar, followed by Nabonidus, Darius, Cyrus. Five kings came and went. Two kingdoms changed from Babylonian to Persian. One man remained through it all. In all of their governments, in all of their administration, one man remained. Can you just imagine that? Can we ever imagine Arun Jaitley staying on in a Congress government? That's exactly what happened to Daniel. In those days when kings would come, they would kill the predecessor. And when we read history, that's what happened with, with each of these kings. Almost all of them were killed by the one who came next. Imagine them retaining the right-hand man of the person that they killed. What testimony Daniel would have had for pagan kings to say that we want him with us. We want him to continue. We want him to be around. And he keeps rising. He keeps rising in rank. But... A humble man. See, God sees that part and says, your humility is something that I've noticed. One man, through it all, from the foundation that was laid and the influence that other people played in his life, it turned into a personal devotion, time that he spent with God's word and just soaked it in, hid it in his heart, resulting in deep convictions that the Lord had placed in him. And then he took resolutions, basis that. He took decisions, basis that. And then he acted upon that. Ended up in action. But 
persisted, dedicated. We see his dedication. And through it all we see God's provision and eventually God giving him distinction. God saying that, you, God blessing him and really taking him ahead. Shall we just bow down our heads as, uh, as we think through Daniel's life and the various things that we can learn for ourselves and things for us to reflect on. <coughs> May it be our prayer that the Lord would make us, give us hearts like this young teenage boy. May we realize that we have an influence on others a foundation that we can lay for our next generation, for people who are looking up to us. May we draw from the foundation that we have already received in our own lives and turn it into a personal walk with the Lord, personal devotion time that we spend with the Lord. May that drive deep convictions for us and may we act upon that with resolution and with action and and stay on course with dedication. And may we enjoy the Lord's provision and if he wills in his time, if not here on earth, then in eternity, distinction. God prepared Daniel for his use and then God placed him for his use. A lot of times the preparation is not easy. The Lord might have to to take us through tough phases in our life to prepare us as vessels for his use. Is your and my life usable for the Lord? Maybe it first needs to be prepared for the Lord. Maybe that's where our prayer has to start. Lord, prepare me. Make me a clean, pure vessel. Personal purity, Lord. Help me to pursue that. It's not about, Lord, what other people see or think. But, O Lord, I care about what you think. I care about what your standards are and I want to live by them. I want to be used by you. I was thinking, what is hindering me? Slavery? Exile? Fear of physical harm? Fear of execution? If you are like me, then I think what's hindering us is lethargy, laziness, complacency, busyness, wrong priorities. These are the things that most times are keeping us from living the kind of lives that the Lord has called us to. That the Lord has so clearly laid out in His Word and many times even laid, us, laid it clearly in our hearts. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, it's our prayer that you would help us to soak ourselves in your word, to seek direction in our lives only through that. May that, may your word, may your law be the only guiding post for us, O Lord. And may we pass it on to our next generation. May we live lives the way you want us to, O Lord. And, O Lord, as you seem fit, we want to be available for you so you can use us the way you would like us to. 
maybe it's within the four walls of our kitchen or maybe it's in high places of the government wherever you choose to place us lord prepare us and use us o lord we come at this time into your hands in jesus precious name we pray amen